1: Welcome to another Wagon Wheel. A uh, huge thanks to everyone for coming on and asking questions and all the things that you do. I'm Jared Kimber, as I usually am. A little bit earlier this week, just because uh, it's Christmas and New Year's and my niece's birthday, if you really need to know, there's a lot going on. Also, with the test finishing, I thought we'd just get it out the way. We have uh, huge thanks to everyone on Patreon. Again, for their support. Remember, if you, uh, I think it's a second tier level on Patreon. If you want to ask questions on this uh, wagon wheel, you can. But thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. It allows us to, you know, build up this podcast network, uh, which seems to be building quite quickly at the moment. So, you know, huge shout out to everyone there. Big shout out to our sponsors as well, to manscaped.com which you can go uh, with the code REDINCA and get 20% off their products, which, of course, their most important product is the one that shaves your testicles. If you don't have testicles, maybe you know someone who does have testicles. I don't know. Either way, I have used it, and it's brilliant. We've got a new ad up, which you might have seen on some of our videos as well. So I wouldn't usually say check out our ads, but we kind of have a bit of fun with our Manscaped ads, so you might might enjoy those ads. Uh, but big shout-out to them, and also a big shout-out to Bodyline T-shirts as well for uh, giving us T-shirts. So thank you to everyone who's on the chat live today. Remember, you can just uh, subscribe to us on Spotify Green Room and you should get the alerts. But if not, we put them up on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, This one was a bit last minute, but thanks to everyone who's come through. Uh, But let's get through to the uh, questions. So Surf says, Does England's abject capitulation in the third Ashes uh, match and their overall decline over the past eight years or so make them the most overhyped bunch of players of all time? Does the English media never learn from their mistakes? I don't think the general team has been overhyped, to be fair, Surf. Um, specific players, uh, you know, I mean, Ben Stokes is a fantastic player. You can see why they would get excited about him. Jimmy Anderson's been taking wickets out of his ass. Um Joe Root, obviously, is part of the Fab Four. I mean, there's some specific players there that have been hoped, but no one was hyping Joe Denley, were they? Right, <laughs> you know, um, or Rory Burns or, you know, or th- or those sorts of players. Even, you know, even Joss Butler, there's always been reservations with with him. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought that, I mean, I I mean, if you've got specific examples, I'm more than happy to have a look at them, but I just think that like most national teams, when they win, people write really good things about them. And when they lose, they don't. Um, and both of those things have happened. I mean, England are still ranked fourth in the world, I think. Um, let's not forget that England went to India and won a test, which New Zealand didn't. You know, there's obviously huge flaws within their team, which I've been writing about. I I think I started writing about their batting problems in 2012. And realistically, they haven't fixed that from there, you know, but they're still a team that's ranked fourth or fifth. I think they're somewhere around the, um, Pakistan level, um, when it comes to the ICC rankings. And that's probably about fair, um. And uh, in 2019, they ended up what two all against Australia in what was a sort of a fluky, streaky series that could have kind of gone um, in a, in a couple of different directions. If you think about the draw at Lords and everything, so uh, I certainly uh, I certainly don't have a huge problem with um, uh, with that. But yeah, you know, it's England and they got a lot of media. Their players get hyped. Same thing happens with like anywhere with a lot of media. And if you're in New Zealand, no one writes about you because you don't have a full time cricket writer. Ian says, with the Ashes gone after that absolute humbling, it's made me think more generally about the coaching management team does to motivate players for dead rubbers. Is it even possible? It's really interesting. Cricket coaches disagree with me on this, but I always think that there's a lack of honesty when it comes to sporting teams. And like everyone pretends like everyone's in this together. And they're not. Like if you're a fast bowler and there's another fast bowler in the squad, you're not really in it together um, because it's your career, right? And so... I think in, in times like this, when it comes to dead robbers, that you can actually have a lot of, um, uh, what would be the best way of putting it? Um, There should be a lot of motivation for a lot of different people to do well. And I think you just have to tap into those things uh, realistically. And I think that's probably the best option that you have that's what i would certainly be doing but i would have done that at the start of the series like i would be saying to every player at the start of the series what what are you trying to get out of this this is what we want to use you for but what are you trying to get out of this and, and i don't think that's any different at this stage um in fact if if now you probably suggest there's more opportunities christopher says is it possible at all that it could be hybrid pitches which use for first class cricket uh, i read that the mcc were trialing it but not sure what happened yeah they used some for the hundred i think you're fine christopher um Look, certainly, uh, hybrid pitches are going to come in for white ball cricket. Um, uh, the Indigenous Australian Indigenous team were well, one of the first teams to try them out at the Oval. I think they played on them at the hundred. I think that's right. Uh, I would assume that going forward for white ball cricket, you'll be able to use them because you can reuse them so much uh, more often, and, and uh, they hold up a lot better. Um, the ball, I think, the ball nips around a bit off them at the moment. I'm trying to remember – I remember having a big chat with Dan Christian about them when it happened, but I can't remember exactly what he said. But, yeah, we will see more hybrid uh, pitches. First-class cricket, we might eventually get to them. Um, But as far as I'm aware, it's being aimed at white ball cricket at the moment just to make things uh, better for the environment but also better for the the grounds person and also more consistent so that you know what the pitch is going to do roughly uh, before each game. AB says, any reason why Ben Duckett doesn't get more of a look in England T20s? uh, set up averages uh, 30 at 136 fields very well standout performer in the blast 100 uh yep but uh, I, I, ab i'd have to look at the record his record a lot more but one thing i would say is that averaging 30 at 136 is not the sort of numbers that probably get you in the england side um i, I would have thought he's a better player than that but Essentially, I think that's probably the biggest issue with him. There's just so many other players, which I think you might have said later, later down there in the question. Um, but I think Ben Duckett is probably someone that they've still got a bit of an eye on. Um, look, he's a very good player. I don't think anyone doubts that. But there's just a lot of very good players in England white ball setup. Uh, <clears throat> And Jim, it says, have there been any instances of a ground specialist batter or bowler being added into a squad and 11 before Scott Boland at the MCG? How good a return on investment is uh, using a, a ground specialist? Hey, uh, Jim, look, it, it happens a bit. Uh, you used to get it a lot, especially places like the West Indies. They used to select players for each island quite a lot of the time. Sometimes that was because of the local selection committees, but sometimes it was just we know this guy's unplayable on this kind of pitch. Uh uh, England obviously used to do it, especially Henningly. Uh They would quite often go with a specialist swing bowler at times. Maybe most famously, Darren Pattinson was one of the last ones that they went for specifically. Um, Stuart McGill playing at the SCG is another one, isn't it? So yeah, I think there's lots of them uh, throughout cricket. Um, I mean, even Akshar Patel, even yeah, he's, Probably when they go to non-spinning wickets in India, he's probably not going to play, is he? They're going to use another seamer. So you certainly, it's certainly something that you you have seen before. I think the Scott Bolan one was just a bit ridiculous um, because of how well he did. But I, I don't know if you've seen, Jim. I, I wrote a piece, um, and it's up on YouTube as well, about how good he is everywhere. He's not just good in in one place. He's, he's very good right across Australia, except for one wicket, which is uh, Bell Reef. Uh, Rhubarb says, looking back on the year, there's been some great test cricket this year, but I continue to be uh, baffled by the first Bangladesh versus Sri Lanka match in April. I don't understand why Bangladesh batting first waited around 30 minutes before lunch on day three to declare. <laughs> um, by that point, a draw seemed inevitable. What are your thoughts? I mean, Rhubarb, if you think I'm remembering a test match from April, I have enough trouble remembering what happened in the in the last Ashes test or what's happening in the India-South Africa test at the moment. Um I don't remember covering that game. I don't know what I was doing in April, um, but I do remember people talking about it a lot. Uh, yeah, I, but I, I can't give you an exact um, answer on that one. I probably would have had to have gone back and had a bit of a look at it. But um, quite often when you see a team late declare like that, it's probably more to do with, um, well, I don't know. Um but, but I probably think that Bangladesh were making sure that there was absolutely no chance that they would lose. But if you're saying that they were over 500 in front... Oh, it's on day three you were saying. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to go back and have a look at it, Rubub. So I really have, have trouble um, remembering that game. Uh, Rumnaf says, in a recent Channel 9 interview with Ian Chappell, he expressed a view that a role of the coach in the team is overrated. Jeez, he's never said that before. I mean, he said that a thousand times before. Uh, do you think the value of the coach team... Um, is greater in T20 than test matches. Perhaps Chappell's view is based on the 60s and 70s. when the te- Yeah, I mean, his, his view comes from the fact that he hasn't played under good coaches. If he's played under good coaches, Cappelli would be telling you how great coaches are over and over again. You, I, I think it would be almost impossible now to be a test captain and not have a coach. I, I don't really understand what Cappelli thinks the modern game is. It would just be impossible. And we're not going to go back anyway. Um Uh, to, to, to your point of, uh, do you think the value of a coach to a team success is greater in T20s and test matches? I think T20s are generally a franchise competition, aren't they? Um, you know, more often than not. And if you, if you have like a franchise competition in that, in that kind of way, um, it means they just come and go. They don't have the same, they don't have the same impact as other coaches, um, so in that way, a test coach, um, international coaches are far more important, I think, than domestic coaches, uh, sorry, than franchise coaches. But, uh, I mean, it's the same job, whether it's T20 or, or test matches. I mean, you're trying to upskill players, you're um, trying to motivate players, you're trying to plan ahead for players. Um, I it Really, I can't imagine why it would have any any difference in any either particular job. Uh, but you certainly need coaches. I mean, if... Be ridiculous not to think that we don't need coaches in modern cricket. Um, Nort says, having lost the Ashes in 5,115 balls. I didn't know that, but that's funny. Should England now play the young leads? Hamid, Crawley, Lawrence, Pope, Bess in the test four and five to give them more experience of the pressure cooker um for the inevitable droppings? Will it serve them well or curtail their fledgling England careers? Look, I always think it's tough to throw in so many younger players. Um in that kind of environment, you do probably want to see who sinks or swims at a certain point, but look, look at me. Do you really want me to come away from this series averaging 12? All right. Do you really want Crawley to come away from this series averaging eight? Um, that's tough realistically going forward. Um, You probably want to know a little bit more about Dawood Milan. Um, I think he's averaging about 30, 32 in this series now, and he's had a pretty good series. Uh, You know, how's he going to bounce back? Bess is a really interesting one. Uh, Lawrence is a really interesting one. I think Pope, I'm not sure throwing him back up there, is going to help his development right at the moment. Um, But one of Lawrence or Bess certainly probably should come back in. But yeah, it's a really tough situation that England are in. I don't think you want to play like you're under 25. I don't know if all those guys are under 25, but I don't know if you want to play your under 25 team um, against Stark and uh, Hazelwood and, well, Cummins and and those sorts of guys. Um, It could be quite brutal. But at the same time, you do want to develop them and you're not going to get that much out. Also, World Test Championship, I suppose, becomes a relevant talking point now, which hasn't been before. Uh, But thanks for that one uh will says what happens sooner australia playing Ireland in a test or england beating australia in the test very fair question i'm not sure uh, i'm not sure which one uh will says should england try and play tests at the olympic stadium so they get more experience playing at larger venues yeah i heard this on the commentary does that matter i don't know I feel like that's a very weird way of looking at it, um, realistically. I think there are much more important things that England need to do in their cricket than worry about playing at larger stadia. Um, And Will says, how do you find the current content creator landscape with uh, with the old polite inquiries gang of you, Mel, and George, all producing video content for different outlets? Well, me and Mel actually um, both uh, have our own YouTube channels, which are actually part of um, 42, which is Ari Yitsu's channel. So uh, we're all sort of there... Um, in fact, George could probably be there as well. Um, he's also friends with Aria, but um, I think he's uh, probably more invested in the writing side of things at the moment and doing the Ask George thing with the cricketer. Um, look, I think it was an inevitable thing that we all did it, uh, that we all, all separated. Um Uh, my channel is obviously far different. George has gone with the sort of more traditional version of polite inquiries. Um, and Mel's show is a little bit different again, um, in the sort of, it's a quite a long format show, I think, isn't it? It's not like six or seven minutes, like polite inquiries, but basically we had been building up our audiences, you know, I mean, this, this show here is kind of a version of polite inquiries in its own way as well. So um, I think it was it was always possible that that was going to happen with the three of us. Um, I wrote that Polite Inquiries as a show for me and George. Mel sort of came in and made it her own when, when she was doing it separate to us or, or even with one of us. Um, it's a slightly different show there. So, it, you know, everyone had to make that show into what it was, so it would make sense that we were using it outside of that. But, I mean, one thing that I didn't want to do was just do Q&A shows on my YouTube channel, which is why my YouTube channel is so vast and... Weird, I suppose. But thanks again to everyone on Patreon for getting those questions in. All right. And we've got a few here. Oh, there's a few written questions, but let me just get to the audio ones first. Omkar, are you there?
2: Yes, I am. Yeah. Firstly, a privilege to speak to you, Jared. I had just written the question I had that if you do want to, just a comment, was that if you do want to rebuild this English test cricket side people keep saying that it's a, it's basically you have to do what you did in 2015 where you like uh revamp the structure you help people with their mindset that's what the case with this one is it like you say like people just can't fact. like if you want mm. to say put focus on white, say you say magically you wake up tomorrow you want to put the focus on the red boy cricket what are the three actionable items that are going to magically make batters better there is nothing no no but- at least 3 to 4 years to get good batsmen up at the international level,
1: yeah. I think if you if you think about it from a point of the 2015, one of Owen Morgan's big points back then was look at the players outside the team; they're fantastic. Let's just get them in the team, and let's let some of the guys in the team off the chain, like Moeen and 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 use Liam Plunkett better as well. So that's a big difference between where they were then and where they were now. I, I think that really it's more about just resetting the entire structure a little bit. So it's interesting because 2015 they copied new zealand didn't they whereas actually they probably should be copying new zealand again now it's new zealand who really revolution no team has improved more in red ball cricket um over the last generation than new zealand and it took them a while to do it and how did they do it they fixed their pitches um they looked at the way that they picked their teams um there was a there was a a better, more professional relationship um, that they had with their players and their coaching structure and everything. Now, England have some of those, but going back to coaching and, and uh, well, the pitches specifically could, again, help England. But there's no doubt that if Darren Stevens is taking so many wickets and it's not just Darren Stevens. I mean, Jesse Ryder had some great career, uh, some great years there as well. If those sorts of bowlers are taking so many wickets in England, that's not really setting you up to be good test nation. And I think that's, I I don't think anyone sort of disagrees with that. That's a fairly common thing that's out there, but it also comes back to what is the County cricket system, which is, it's different. The County cricket system to every other system um, in the world in that County cricket system, was never set up to produce England players and it's still not entirely set up to produce England players. Whereas New Zealand could overhaul their system quite easy because that's what it is, right? I mean, Otago might want to beat Wellington, but at the end of the day, they know that their role is to produce um, uh, New Zealand players and the Shield works that way and and, uh, franchises in South Africa work that way. So... Um, I, I really do believe that that's probably what they need to do but um, it is a much different kind of job uh, than what happened in white ball cricket for England. I think you're very very spot on there.
2: Just one follow-up on that. What do you think is the x-axis for this? like how how long are we seeing till this magically or not magically? how long did you how long do you think it will take to see the effects of whatever we are discussing? No matter which way England goes to from here, what do you think is that X axis? Is it a year, two years, three years? What are we talking oh,
1: about? You're saying until they have a consistent batting lineup again, specifically. Yeah. Oh, but that could be six to eight years. Oh, okay. Because there's not, I, I've, I've watched the um, England under 19s recently. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't blown away by the talent there. I didn't see anything there that I hadn't seen before. If you look at Hamid and Crawley, talking about young guys, um, coming through Bess. uh, well, Bess is not a batter, I suppose, but, um, Pope, that's the generation that you would be hoping would save you. And on paper, we don't see that coming through now. Maybe one of those guys will, maybe someone will have a manus like transformation and perhaps they put the place. Uh, but I would think that if it is, if it is a structural based pitch based first class coaching based problem, right? That's a generational sweep that you need to change. Um, so you might still, I mean, don't, don't forget, if you look at New Zealand, they still had Williamson and Taylor and McCullum around. So it's not like you won't, and, and, and England are still going to have Root and Stokes around. But those players are the fluke players, right? Your bread and butter. If you, if you go back to Australia and the West Indies for their periods from 75 through to 2005, you, what you're really looking for in that period is what what does what their fifth best batter look like, right? You know, what is their I – mean, my, my big thing is always what is your first change bowler, right? If your first change bowler is Pat Cummins or Joel Garner, oh, fucking good – you're going to be a pretty good team, right? If, you're, if your sixth best batter is, or your fifth best batter, um, you know, is a young Chandra Paul or um, a young Richie Richardson or a young, um, you know, or Gus Logie type player, right? You're probably going to be a pretty good team. And if it's not, and you can't fill that gap, then that's probably where the trouble is. And that's the level where, you know, you, you take a, amateur setup and you turn it a little bit more professional, right? That's how you get that player from, they're not that good, but we can get a little bit out of them, to they're good enough. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in, in a, a basketball and a baseball, I think they call them replacement-level players. That's all you need. You don't want someone to drag on the team. Um, and for England to be able to do that, that's six to eight years away, I would think, unless a magic crop come through or they find a way to turn their white ball batters into red ball players or, or you know, something unforeseen. Um, but to have a consistent good batting lineup, I would think would take quite some time if it is all the structural problems. If it's just, if it's literally just a bunch of bad red ball batters came through England at the same time um, and the next generation are not like that, then that won't be a problem, right? I, I don't think that's the case, though. But um, thank you so much for your question, mate. Thank you. Jimmy, are you there? Yeah, have I heard of it? Yep, what's your question?
2: So, I wanted to ask you about the... This current South African team,
1: how do you Mm -hmm. rate them? They're like most teams in the world, mate. They have very good bowling, um, very good bowling depth, um, and they don't specifically have the batting to be able to back that up. So I can't see how they can consistently make enough runs for their bowlers to win them games. So they're not that much different than maybe England or West Indies. Can they do well away from home? Like in Australia, they
2: have a very good record in Australia, playing with South African teams.
1: No, I wouldn't have thought so. I wouldn't have thought their batters would, would handle Australian bowlers in Australia at the moment. I just don't think their batters are good enough, but their bowlers will certainly take wickets in Australia. I can't see any reason why they can't. They're, I mean, I thought Ngidi bowled really well in this test, and obviously is incredible, and Norkia. um, You know, there's a lot of bowling talent there. Um, uh, I, there's uh, there's a couple of other guys, obviously, just outside the team, who I think are really good as well. Uh, Sip Lama and uh, Olivia. Um, you know, so there's a lot of very good bowling talent there, but is that bowling attack better than Australia's? No. Is Australia's batting lineup better than South Africa's? Yes. So you would assume at this point that Australia would do better um, against South Africa. How
2: about their white ball teams? I think their one day and T20 teams are in
1: good shape. Yeah, I didn't think that at all. I thought they were quite poor in the T20 World Cup, and they ended up with a good record through luck as much as anything. I really didn't think they they were that good in that tournament. The more I saw of them, I think what well, they end up with four and one um, in the tournament, and I really didn't think they deserved that record at all. I thought they were a very very average team and very similar to what I'm saying. I, uh, in that case I thought I think they have cut the They ended up
2: winning the World Cup. I mean, you can't Yeah. Uh,
1: I still think Australia w- Yeah, I still think Australia was slightly better than South Africa in the World Cup, but I, I wasn't English. South ha-
2: had arguably one of the best bowling lineups in the tournament.
1: They had a very good bowling lineup. Yeah, but it's a, that's what I'm saying. It's exactly the same as their Red Bull team, right? and they had they had a very weak um, batting lineup after, you know, the, you know a couple of guys sort of towards the top. Look, I, I don't think they're going to slip that far because if, if you have bowling that good and you have a couple of batters that can kind of hold you up and they certainly have that, you know, even someone like Rassi van der Dussen, he's, you know, um, in, in modern world, he's a very, very good player. Um, so I think they certainly, uh, they're not going to fall off the map, but um, that I can't see how they win consistently with a batting lineup like that. And look, they're not the only team in that. There's quite a few of them out there. Cheers to me. Fahad, are you there?
2: Yeah, my question was about these two matches in Melbourne and what is uh, Centurion. If mm-hmm. you look at the pitches, what do you think about the pitches? Because I think these are a little bit helping more towards the bowlers who are already very good in these four teams. If this happens, and it's a pattern for some time, batsmen are hardly able to make an error. I, as you say multiple times, I have heard you that the bowling has become very good. But do mm-hmm. you still think there is the pitches are a little bit more in favour for the bowlers nowadays?
1: Yes, but I also think that bowlers are just so on top that it might look that way. But these last two pitches, yes. Um Melbourne was green. It's probably as green as I've ever seen Melbourne look for a Test match.
2: Yeah, Melbourne was <laughs> surprising.
1: Yeah, and this pitch... The, the the um India South Africa one I haven't seen as much of it obviously because I've been covering the other match but I've watched I watched a session and a half yesterday and probably a session and a half today um it's very inconsistent bounce um it look, looks like a bit of a, a bit you yeah, know bit of a dog of a pitch um from a consistent bounce perspective but, yeah, I don't have a problem with those in general. I don't have a problem with the, the pitchers being slightly in favour of the bowlers either. Um, it just happens to be that at the moment the bowlers are well – or seam bowlers anyway – are well on top for for a number of reasons around the world. Um, but I don't think that's going to be the case in in all pitches. Um, I don't think that was particularly – like, if you go back to the Ashes, I don't think that was particularly the case in the last few um, – Ashes tests might probably, well, we don't know what New Zealand is going to roll out for Bangladesh, but traditionally, well, sorry, the new tradition of New Zealand cricket is quite flat pitches. Um, and that's where the majority of the runs have been scored in the last couple of years of cricket. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very fair point. But thanks so much for your question, mate. Karthik, are you there? Uh, hello. Yeah, how you doing?
3: Uh, hi, uh, Jalud. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, uh, my question is, uh, again, uh, you know, uh, the uh, post-match discussions, uh, you know, of uh, Ashes, you know, which is like the moment you see any teams losing a couple of uh, series or, uh, you know, doing pretty badly against uh, uh, in-away matches, you see Mm -hmm. former uh, players or commentators uh, saying... uh, Change the system, change the system, you know. Uh, you know That is, you see Ramiz Raja saying for Pakistan, uh, Mahil Jayavardana, Sangakara saying for Sri Lanka. Now, uh, England players saying it for, uh, uh, you know, English county systems. Again, uh, why that obsession, you know, of changing the system? Uh, whereas, uh, at least if you see from India perspective, we want to see our state team doing well. You know, we want to see our uh, uh, state teams uh, matches getting like, uh, telecasted uh, i hope similarly uh, there are fans uh, for uh, uh you know county teams uh, uh, state teams uh across uh, sri lanka and pakistan also so oh. why not uh, build on the top of that if it was working
1: well i'll stop you there i'll tell you why because none of those systems that you have just talked about are made to make international players that's the problem And anyone who's played at that level knows that because if they've played at first-class level and then they've played at international level, they will all tell you for hours on end in bars at the end of the night how these systems are not set up to make players play international cricket. So India is getting over that by the fact that there's just more talent in India than anywhere else, and so they can overcome that. Sri Lanka and Pakistan and England don't have that luxury, especially compared to India, and they don't have systems that are set up to get the most out of their players and prepare them for international cricket, train them for international cricket. Um, uh, so they can work out who the best players are to select for international cricket. That's why they're talking about it. The system doesn't work. Right. And why those systems work traditionally is because everyone had those systems traditionally. So it wasn't as, as big a problem, but the few teams that probably didn't have those systems were probably teams like Australia who did phenomenally well. So you have someone like South, uh, someone like West Indies. Their domestic structure has never really helped their cricket, and their players actually got good by playing league cricket in England, and then playing in for Kerry Packer and county cricket, um, separate to that. So, if you really want to fix the your team, and there's a big problems within it, and you're not just waiting for the next really talented players to come through, you have to fix the actual structure of how you are preparing players grooming players, training players, allowing them to play what pitches they're playing on. And at the moment, that's not happening in England, certainly not happening in Sri Lanka. Um, Pakistan has massive problems with their first class structure. So what you're relying on then is really talented players coming through and, and then a captain and a coach hopefully being able to hang on to that and win a bunch of games in a row. If you want to be consistently good for a long time, the best thing to do is to change the structure of the system
3: i uh, get to your point but uh, there are no uh, uh, you know smaller modifications that can be done to fix the issue rather than changing the system altogether
1: because uh, my no, no well you could do smaller modifications you could certainly do smaller modifications new zealand didn't change they they did modifications and they've gone from terrible at red ball cricket to the you know, number one in the world there are certainly smaller modifications you can do but that's what you have to fix that is it, whether it's a small structural problem or a massive structural problem, that's where you have to tackle the problem. And, and your thing about people enjoying first-class um, cricket teams, it's like you, you say that people like state teams. Where are the massive numbers that are going to watch first-class cricket around the world, right? It doesn't exist, mate. It doesn't even exist in county cricket, and that's the one that's probably the most popular, right? When it comes down to it, these things aren't making money, and they're also not fit for purpose to make your international teams better. So if that's the case, you... I think it's very fair for anyone who's looking into these things to see if they can improve them. But there are small structural changes. There are large structural changes. Australia did a thing a few years ago where they thought they were improving things and they made a very small change, which actually took everything backwards, which was they changed how their second 11 competition were. So we know even slight tweaks can can um, have huge um, changes for your international team. And that's Of of absolutely no doubt. But there are structural problems, whether they are tiny structural or major structural, all the way through almost every first-class structure in the world because they weren't set up for this. They were set up for amateurs um, who lived locally to play for them. That's not what this is anymore. These are now talent factories. This is now about getting the best players in the world um, uh, available so that they can play a test in Guyana and then a test in Johannesburg and then a test at the Basin, right? That's completely different. That's not what first-class cricket was set up for in, you know, um, in in in, uh, in Colombo um, 70 years ago. So you have to change your system. If you don't change your system, you're just going to fall behind and you're going to lose a lot.
3: So we may not, even in this age of uh, internet, we may not be able to see, say, all the Mumbai matches, uh, Tamil Nadu-Delhi matches getting streamed or... Uh, similarly,
1: with the uh, Sh- Sri Lanka Pakistan matches. Well, every first class game in the world will eventually be streamed, will be my guess. It's probably taking just a little bit longer than it needs to be, but eventually that will be the case, and every first class game will be streamed. There's no, it's easy to stream now, um, it's quite cheap and um it's in the benefit of if you're if you're trying to find the most talented players you really don't want to be sending your scouts or your selectors or your coaches out to every single game you really want them to be able to look at a database um of those players and be able to press a button and go I just want to see them against left-arm pace and see them face 500 balls of left-arm pace that's what you're looking for so every first class game in the world will eventually have to be recorded and streamed and and all those sorts of things will be my, will be my guess thanks for your questions though um, I've just got a couple that have been written down Goppel says uh can you react to the analysis by corner to show the issue with England in Australia's primarily it's bowling and not its batting I don't think corner did that did it Car did that uh look I understand what he's saying I mean the problem is both fundamentally um and uh, what he's saying is that the Australian bowling is so much better than the English bowling that they always had an advantage. And he obviously believes that you have to take 20 wickets to win a test match, which is true. I would say that to win test series over a long period of time, you also need a consistent batting lineup. Um, but but I had a conversation with him on Twitter today about, the, uh, about something a bit different about the fielding. I think if you break this down in, into different teams or units within the team. So if you look at batting, bowling and fielding, the Australian bowling is the best unit. The Australian fielding is probably the second best field, uh, unit. The England bowling is probably the third best unit. The Australian batting is probably the, the fourth best unit. And then you've got England's fielding and England's batting down the bottom. Um, they're losing. They're losing to Australia on almost every metric there or they are losing. They're worse than Australia on, on every single metric when it comes to batting, bowling and fielding. If you break it down further and you look at, Openers versus middle order versus new ball bowlers versus first change bowlers versus spin bowlers. Everywhere, everywhere you look, um, Australia is beating England um, at the moment. Even Cameron Green's probably had a better series than than Ben Stokes so far. Um, and Cameron Green hasn't played particularly well with the bat. So uh, right at the moment, uh, they're beating them in every single f- part of the game. Keshav, you there? Hi, Zadard. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. What's your question, mate?
0: Yeah, so, again, uh, on Ashes only. So, this debacle, would you relate it or would you call it the equivalent of uh, where England were in white ball at the end of 2015 World Cup? Because, you know, there also, at least the problem was, you know, they had the problem cut out for them because they knew that they had to go to white ball specialists, couldn't really uh, survive the white ball cricket with the red ball players. But here, the problem seems to be a little more two-fold or
1: three-fold, if you will, because
0: here they've tried white-ball people as well in Red Bull. Mm -hmm. They've tried the Red Bulls.
1: Uh, Kershiv, sorry, just to stop you for one second. So I don't know, you might have missed one of the earlier questions, but one of the earlier questions was about this. Um, The difference was in 2015, they knew they had a lot of talented players who were just outside the team who weren't coming in because they were trying the wrong kinds of players. They also knew that tactically they hadn't allowed their players to get the most out of themselves, right? That's not the case with this Red Bull team at all. So in that way, it can't be really compared to the White Ball. The White Ball reset happened really quickly because... Uh, the players were there, and it was just a change of tactics. There's no, pl- there are no players available to change this team in the short term, and there's no tactics that will help them get better than they currently are. Um, well, not that much better. You know, they, they, they might be able to find slight improvements, but they're not going to be changed the way they are. So, yeah, it's the reset is probably here more on uh, the structure of the of the game and how they prepare, and um, you know what sort of uh, way that they think about things. But the reset is not. It's not anything like. Uh, what they did for the white ball team or teams.
0: If I change the course of the co- conversation a little bit here. So, you know, I remember last time you you said you were not too big on the mental pressure uh, when we were talking about Olly Pope, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, people cannot really convert their domestic performances to international uh, performances because of those pressure thing. So if you compare these English players with the uh, Indian players last uh, summer in Australia, Mm-hmm. You know, the third Indian side beat Australian mm-hmm. Australia with the same uh, Australian attack against mm-hmm. them. So even those players hadn't really played a lot of first class. Some of them seem to be the white ball specialists like Pant and you know Gil and all. So is it because of the simple fact that they are just better batsmen? Yes. Or again, raise the question, they're mentally better prepared? because
1: They're not mentally better prepared. You've got, that's nonsense. They're better players. Rory Burns had to fight his way through Surrey when no one at Surrey wanted him, right? He fought his way all the way through, finally gets the opening spot, and Surrey start recruiting other openers around him. He then scores a buckload of runs over and over again in county cricket, and England pick everyone else except for Rory Burns, right? What part of him is not mentally strong? Dom Sibley was a young player that everyone thought was going to be an absolute star, who ended up failing at the club he was at and having to go to another club. Um, and work that out, right? To say they're not mentally strong, it's just, it's nonsense, right? It's just utter nonsense. Roy Burns can't make any runs because there's about five different places that a scene bowler can bowl to him and he can't face off spin. It's not that he's not mentally strong. He's not very good, which is a completely different thing. You've really got to let this go, mate. It's a thing that people say because they don't want to look at real, real reasons, right? I, I would say Dom Sibley is a very mentally strong player. To, to make it to the test level without, with literally being able to hit the ball on the offside is incredible mental strength. But it also shows he's not very good because he can't hit the ball on the offside, right? And that's a huge problem for him. And um, so realistically, that is what is far more important. You can have a player who is very, very technically sound, who has a bad temperament for whatever reason? Maybe they don't work on their game enough. Maybe they can't replicate their skills all the time. Um, maybe they just don't have the right headset for to be a professional athlete. Those are all fair things. But this whole thing of that, like these young Indian kids are, you know, are better at handling pressure. No, they're just really good. Have a look at their techniques. Have a look at the way they set up. Have a look at where their weaknesses are right? They're very good players. Also, the other thing is, which is very fair to say that the Australian bowlers, um, have bowled a lot better in this series, partly because Pajara hasn't tied them out. Um, but, but just in general, they bowled a lot better. I think, I think Mitchell Stark and Nathan Lyon, uh, were very, they were, uh, they've improved since last year and they're in better form than they were last year, which these things happen. I mean, that's going to happen to anyone, but yeah, no, it's, quite clear there's a lot of mental tough players within there are people in club cricket that are more mentally tough than people in test cricket right but they're not very good (laughs) they're not very good technically they can't pick up the ball properly they don't put their foot in the right area they can't handle the ball when it spins away from the bat You know, and, and if you have a player who are both equally talented and one is mentally tough, you would probably get a slight spike from that person over the person who's not mentally tough. Um, but in, at the same time, if you get someone who's really mentally tough and they don't work on their game and the other person does, the chances are the person who works on their game is going to be better than them. And they might not be as mentally tough. They might be a weaker character, right? It is just, let's focus on the cricket. Right? And when it comes down to it, look at these young Indian players who are coming through the system and young New Zealand players coming through the system. They look like they have really good techniques. And look at that look at Hasib Amid. you know. Let's just be realistic with this and let's talk about facts.
0: So so Jared, do you think is it fair to just blame it all on system rather than playing taking this personal responsibility and working on their techniques or coaches helping them?
1: And when you say personal responsibility, I mean there's plenty of uh, you know, there's plenty of, um, stuff on the personal responsibility, but if you have two or three batters who fail, you probably look at personal responsibility when you're looking now at 26 batters who have failed, that's not just personal responsibility, is it? That's got to be a system. We're talking about nine years of failure with the bat. You're telling me that randomly, they just had a bunch of people who all, um, uh, had individual failings and weren't up to it. I think that's pretty unlikely. But
0: then do you think there it's not just the players' uh, fault, but it's the coaches as well in the system who never really bothered about uh, England batsman techniques outside of England?
1: Yeah, it's definitely, yeah. I thought that's what we were talking about. But yes, it's it's the coaching, it's the coaching structure, uh, it's the probably the school structure probably plays a part in it. The academy structure probably plays a part in it. Yeah, it's everyone. I mean, you. Don't, I don't think you have a sort of generational fail like this if it's one thing. Um, I, I saw, you know, you see hilarious things, a bit, bits go back to your mental thing going, oh, it's the problem is all the England players now they're, you know, millennial snowflakes. So like, who do you think they're playing against? They're playing against millennial snowflakes from other teams, right? Everyone's a millennial snowflake by that, by that metric, right? Um, and other teams, at least two teams can bat. Uh, thanks for your questions, mate. Ashish, is, it looks like he's asked his in written form. Uh, when you look at England's bowlers, I don't find any threatening, where no bowling ball more than 140 clicks, blah, 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 blah. Um, I know they have Archer and Wood, but they're either injury-prone or, in Wood's case, too streaky. Why is it that they're unable to produce these types of bowlers as compared to, say, India, who have a fairly deep stable of such bowlers? Well, it has taken India 80 years to have a, a fairly stable thing. You need to, We need to be a little bit realistic with these sorts of things sometimes. Is it a condition-based problem, or is it they're coaching the grassroots level? I, look, their pitch, pitches are slow in England. So if you're talking about fast bowlers spe- specifically... um. It's better to be a liner length bowler in England than it is in India. In India, it would make more sense to be a faster bowler. Um, in Australia, it makes more sense to be a bouncy bowler, probably to a certain extent South Africa as well. Um, so, yeah, it is conditions-based, right? This has nothing to do with your question, but Ashish, if, if you look at the way that left-arm finger spinners develop in different parts of the world, the kinds of left-arm finger spinners that have come out of Australia, South Africa, England are absolutely nothing like the kind of left arm finger spinners you see come out of Asia. That's conditions based, right? It's not that people are coaching them to be this the way, but they have to be different kinds of bowlers because they're not getting to bowl on those kinds of pitches. But that's also what we're talking about before when we talk about um, structure, right? Your players have to be able to play in multiple conditions now. Or you need to be able to pick specialists for each conditions. You need to be able to grow specialists for each conditions. And that's where the problems come in. But thanks for your question. We've got here Gregory. You there?
2: Oh uh, yeah. Hi, Jared. Hey, mate. Yeah, so I know you've said you want like all the associate teams to play test cricket, but uh, who do you think, you know, based on our uh, selective club, who do you think will be the
3: next test nation?
1: Next test nation. I don't think anyone's going to be in a rush to pick anyone, so I would assume that you would be looking out of Scotland and Nepal, obviously. Um, Teams like Namibia, who else, America might jump that. But yeah, I would say that if, if you're doing it traditionally, the next test nation's probably most likely going to be Scotland or Nepal, just because I think they have the ability to create more local players. Um, so a, a deeper pipeline. Like if you look at if you look at Scotland, they probably have, you know, a good five or six seam bowlers in their structure. Um, and if you, you know, they've got two spinners at Scotland. Um, they've got a couple of wicket keepers who are, you know, good quality players. They've got guys like um, Ollie Hare and, and Dylan Budge who are not first team players, but have a lot of talent um, as well. So I think there's definitely Scotland's like that, and Nepal obviously um, is going through a bit of a, a, a lower period. But there are so many people playing cricket in Scotland and Nepal um, at a decent quality which you don't get in some of the other countries. Um, like Namibia only has four four teams. So they might be able to open that up over the next couple of years now they've done so well in the World Cup. But something would happen. have to happen quite quickly. And we, for America, it would have to be the major league cricket revolution, changing things. But I would say that Nepal and Scotland make the most sense, even if they might not be the 13th and 14th best teams at the moment. Cheers, mate. Groove. Hi, Jared. Can you hear me? I can. What's your question, mate? So just as you were discussing about how there's a structural
3: flaw and the first class systems don't make international cricketers. uh, So we have these A-teams and the England Lions and all which is probably a feeder system into international cricket. Do these teams not play anymore? Or I, I don't know, Is are the England Lions, how much they are playing or how they are doing to get players? Because all these Indian players, Siraj and all, they came from an India A system mm. into the team where they toured abroad and, and, and done
1: work there in different conditions. Yeah, no, England Lions still play. They were in Australia um, during the first test or maybe first two tests of this series and they've gone back home now. They do, but you've got to remember that the Indian players don't play that much first-class cricket. So they are almost, uh, you're talking about a generation of what, about 20 or 25 players who are literally just playing a team cricket and they're with Royal Dravid and they're at the academy. So in England, that's not the case they're obviously quite often those players are still with their counties and that's still seen as sort of the major thing. And then during the off season, they spend a lot of time with the, with the lions, but it doesn't really matter if the team, if the players by the time they get to that level are already damaged or are not good enough. Right. You're not going to be able to, what you're going to be able to do is we go back to what I was saying before about sort of re- replacement level players by playing all that a cricket, you can you can uh, maybe polish the edges on some of those players and you can certainly have them more prepared when they get to test level. But if they're not good enough to begin with, getting them more prepared to be test level doesn't really matter, right? You, you can't, you know, uh, you cannot polish a turd, as my dad would would probably say. Um, and so, you know, I, I, it, I think that system's good. I think it could be better. I think Australia, India and England should actually have like a nine month of a year. I, you know, once you know who you're best... 20 players are outside your 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 top 15 i think they should be playing in all these different places consistently i think india uh sorry not india i think england should have england or australia should have an academy in sri lanka um uh you know that is being used three to four months of the year um and they should be inviting other teams over to come and play them there um and i think other teams as well uh other places as well like you know for for england having an academy in south africa make a lot of sense right it's like uh, you know you're going to have to if if you're going to be win consistently you're going to have to overcome sort of south african conditions which are very similar to australia which have um, um you know similar to new zealand in some places and similar to west indies in other places that's what you should be doing uh, and i don't think it, even india is not at that level yet. but that's i think where that's where this is going, especially for the three major teams, I think, going forward. Um, I really don't understand why Australia just don't have their own academy in Sri Lanka. Um, I think I wrote about it in 2007 or 2008. It's a no-brainer for me. All you, oh, your players aren't very good at playing spin in Asia. Let's go to the place where it spins more than anywhere else um, and sit everyone there for three months of the year. And get them to play amongst themselves. Get them to play Sri lanka you know whatever you need to do. Um, it, it would help Sri Lanka as well. Um, it would be, you know, a phenomenal um, situation to have, um, and the facilities are quite cheap there. You could, you could you build an incredible. It's a great place. Who doesn't want to spend three months of the year in Sri Lanka? Um, I'm available if anyone's um, offering that. Thanks. No worries. Cheers, mate. Eka, are you there. So uh, the question is kind of basic. So uh, what
0: are the things that you notice and observe like while watching cricket in real time? Because you know sometimes you. Uh, like uh, as a casual fan at least, uh, if you try to focus on one thing, you kind of miss out on uh, the others. So you've been a professional for a while now and uh, you probably followed the game for even longer. So what are the things you do now and what are the things you've tried?
1: Uh, I've got lots of different ways of doing it. Sometimes I like to watch as a casual fan and see what grabs me. So I'm looking for almost like something to find me. Other days, uh, I suppose at my most... I don't know if diligence is the right word, but obsessed. Um, I, I write a note down about every ball um, or, yeah, uh, I usually can't do that for more than two hours because it just gives me a headache. Um, but, you know, uh, I will have a note about every single ball and where it has gone. Um, if I'm doing analysis, I'm probably looking for something like, Oh, wait a minute. Is that, is there something going on with the pitch at when you pitch at a certain length? Is there way I can look that up now? Um, uh, and then, you know, and then I suppose those are the sort of the main things that I'm looking for. I'm, you know, looking for information. I'm looking for story. I'm looking for color. I'm looking for something that catches my eye. I'm looking for something that interests me. Um, and then, and then, then I'm kind of following whatever that thing is. My pieces tend to be really specific about one part of the game. Um, so once I get obsessed with whatever it is on that day, then I sort of follow that back down the rabbit hole, if that makes sense.
0: And what about pattern recognition? You know, you yeah, just about that,
1: basically. I suppose for me, I, I must pick that up naturally. There are some cricket writers who are quite good at that. I suppose just because we spend so long there, um, and sometimes you you can say this seems like a thing. Um, I felt in September of 2019 that teams were bowling a lot straighter to Steve Smith just from watching it, and then you start. You, then you just go through the numbers to see if it's true. And if it's not true, that's fine. And you, you discard it and you, maybe you find something else from looking at those numbers. And if it is true, then you try and work out what it is. Um, and I think that when you've watched as much cricket as any professional cricket writer does, I would like to think that the patterns start to appear to you, you know, a little bit like card counting or something like that, if that makes sense, um, at a certain point where you start to go, oh, this is interesting because this is happening today. Um, and then you go and you can test your hypothesis and see if you're right. And if you're wrong, and sometimes you are wrong, sometimes you, you know, like any kind of biases, you're just like, maybe you're looking for a certain thing and it doesn't exist. Um, and other times you're hundred percent correct. So I certainly think that that is, um, a big part of it for me It's just, yeah, uh, I've watched so much cricket now that in a very short space of time, I can probably see what a team, what a bowling team is trying to do. Um, and that's usually where the patterns come from. Um, and sometimes what a batting team is, is, is trying to do as well. Um, and, you know, you, you have a memory bank of these things of, wait a minute, this guy doesn't sweep? Why is he sweeping? How often has he swept before? And you look it up and sometimes you're like, oh, no, he does sweep and I've forgotten. And then other times you look it up and it's like, he's never, he hasn't swept in a game in three years. Um, and so, you know, you, you follow that up. Um, and some players are very dynamic. Uh, so Josh Butler is, is one. Is uh, very dynamic and he can change really drastically from test to test, which isn't that common. And then you've got other players who don't change much at all. So Rory Burns is really dogmatic. So it's really clear when Rory Burns has changed something because, you know, so the first one was um, when, uh, we, when we were in Sri Lanka um, and Rory Burns didn't open um, against um, Ruan Pereira. It was like, I've seen a lot of Surrey play. I don't think I've ever seen him not face the first ball before. I turn around to Gareth Batty, who played with him at Surrey. Have you seen him face not face the first ball? And Batty's like, I don't think he... I don't think I have. And we look it up, and it turned out at that stage in his career, it was the third or fourth time, third time, I think, ever in his career that he didn't face the first ball when opening. So that's just a hunch, really. And I could have been 100% wrong, and I could have just, you know, misremembered misrem- it. But you kind of take those hunches and you try and back them up. And so I suppose that's what the pattern recognition is for us, if that makes sense.
0: So it's closer to like, uh, what is that that type of research in uh, academics?
1: I
2: forgot. Qualitative research, right?
1: I mean, you lost me at um, academics. I mean, I didn't finish high school. So, I mean, sometimes you go the other way. Sometimes I like to go through the data at the start, you know, like, just to look to see for anything. Do you know what I mean? Like, is there something here that's interesting um, to me? Um, You know, maybe, especially around the second or third day of a test, I might just you know whip open the ball by balls order and just have a look if something weird is happening, and then and then it's probably the opposite there. So you're looking for that, but but more I think at a certain point I should be able to spot not every pattern but a fair few. Um, and then people on Twitter are quite good. You know we've got the Discord. If you're on Patreon now, you have access to the Discord that we have, um, and that that you know people people come up with with things there. Um, being in a press box is is really good. You know you've got. I might have George Dobell on one side and Usman Semedin on the other. They both look at cricket in a slightly different way than I do, so they're seeing different things that I'm seeing. Um, you know, in, you know, uh, you, you'll have someone really interesting further down the row. You might have a different uh, local reporter who's asking you questions because they're not understanding why a team's doing this. So you you try and put yourself in the best possible positions, I think, to be able to um, to be able to do that. Uh, but thanks for your question, mate. Cheers. Vamshi, you there? You got a helmet on, Vamshi. Yes. Can you hear me, that? I can. What's your question? I have trouble justifying to my teammates that bowlers now are much better than what they used to be in the past. The
0: main <laughs> argument is that pitches have become conducive to past bowling, and that their success is attributed to them. Mm-hmm. How do we make that distinction between bowling pitches versus better bowlers versus uh, worse batsmen? Has the quality of
1: test pads been really deteriorated? How can we make these distinctions? It's actually quite easy. If, if you want, you, uh, I'll I'll give you something that I've been working on, which is the Saranga Lakmal-Dean Elgar rule. Dean Elgar was on his way to being the be- one of the best test openers in the history of the game. Like He had a phenomenal record, right? And basically hasn't made a run for three or four years. Saranga Lakmal was going on his way to being one of the worst seam bowlers in the history of the game, and has been unplayable for three or four years, right? <laughs> that's not, a, that's, that, well, I'm just using two famous examples, but we know that players have struggled. We know that Steve Smith has struggled in, in the last four four or five years, right? Everyone has started to struggle more with the bat. You know, there's obviously a few key players who have done very well, but it's been fucking grim out there for batting. I don't think it's just pitchers though. If, if this helps your argument anymore, um, I think the wobble ball is huge. And the more bowlers that use it, the harder it is for anyone to make any runs. Um, I think we've been slightly smarter with the way we use seam bowlers as well. Whether it be bowling around the wicket to left-handers, uh, you, the only time you used a bowler around the wicket to a left-hander was if you thought they had a problem, or if they already smashed you for eighty odd runs, and you thought, "Well, I might as well try around the wicket now." That's not the case anymore. We're so much more accurate, and I think analysis in general—you know, being able to say to a bowler, uh, you—you you know, your uh, something really interesting has happened on TV coverage." very recently, which is the good area used to be six to eight metres. Have a look now, it's five to seven metres. Um, on, on, yeah, and I think the reason is that bowlers are just bowling a little bit fuller now, which again comes back to the wobble balls slightly, but also that um, we know that we need to attack the stumps more because of DRS. So before, you would probably bowl, your best ball probably just went over the top of the stumps, and occasionally you would either pitch the ball up a little bit, or you'd hope for a bit of natural variation to clip the top of the stumps for an LBW. That's not the case anymore. Now you want to bowl a little bit fuller so that most of your balls are hitting the top of the stumps, if it, if it all, or well, not most, but a, a larger um, uh, amount are hitting the top of the stumps because what, especially if you think of the wobble ball specifically, you want to angle the ball into the stumps and you want bold LBW and caught behind and caught slips all to be in play. So if you're angling the ball in, that means that if the wobble ball seems back, you've got middle and leg. If the wobble ball seems away, you might clip the outside of off stump. If the wobble ball um, seems away even more, you can get an outside edge um, through to the the, uh, the, the 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 slip cordon and the wicket keeper. That's all new, right? That's all really, really new. And before that, if you look traditionally, bowlers used to bowl quite close to the stumps, whereas now they're getting wider and wider, and you're getting these weird techniques like Muhammad Siraj and um, There's another bowler as well who bowls. What, what the, the cricketers have got a name for this? Do they call it into out? Where you go past the perpendicular with your arm, right? So your arm actually is, um, instead of being at not, uh, 180 degrees, it's um, you know way further around. And again, that helps that natural angle in. So you want the batters to be thinking at all times that their stumps are in play, so you can get them to play at more balls. And that's harder to do if you're bowling from a close line from the from the off stump because the minute the ball is outside off stump, they're like, well, chances are it's not going to whip back violently. Whereas if you're coming in from this constant angle, you're always worried that the ball is going to come back in, which means you're playing at more balls. So um, I think there's a lot of things that have helped fast bowling. Uh, and uh, I think I think it would be – the average has dropped four or five runs, right? Right. And a lot of the same players are playing as they were five years ago, um, and those players are struggling. So if that that when you see that, I think that's when you know that um, it's uh, it's not about um, uh, the, it's not like Dean Elgar forgot how to play bowling, right? Like he should he should have been coming into his peak, and it's not it's Steve Smith. Again, there's lots of these guys out there who have really, really struggled. And some of them might have individual reasons, but I think you, you have to be honest and say when, it, when the overall average is coming down, it's not about a bunch of individuals. And, and the other thing that people will say is, oh, the, you know, white ball cricket has changed everything. It's like, well, actually the run rate in red ball cricket has gone down from, from five or 10 years ago. The other thing about the whole white ball thing um, is that look at the guys who are playing test cricket. Craig Brathwaite, Dom Sibley, Rory Burns, uh, Manus Lavishain, (coughs) um, am I missing some? Oh, BJ Watling. There were some fucking blocking guys. Those guys, um, were making the runs in, 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 were were playing in red ball cricket as much, if not more than white ball specialists, right? And they still weren't making any runs. They were defensive batters and they were struggling. So its I don't think that's true either. Uh, I just think that for a bunch of different reasons, and I also think the pitch has changed slightly, um, that it's been a lot better for fast bowlers now than it is for batters. Great. Thanks, Jared. That helps a lot. No worries. Always happy to help you have conversations with your friends where you come out victorious. Uh, Thanks to everyone who asked questions, as always. Remember, if you came in halfway through and you haven't heard it all, this will be on Red Inca in a couple of days. Uh, We'll also put the Wagon Wheel Chats up on YouTube. If you want to support us, we're trying to bring in an extra podcast. So, if you want to help us, you can support us at Patreon or you can support us at Buy Me a Coffee. Um, you can put my name into Google, but it'll also be in the show notes. But if you're listening to this live, I'm sure you can just Google it. Big shout out to Manscaped, uh, who are still sponsoring us. So, 20% off worldwide and free worldwide shipping with Manscaped uh, if you use the code RED INCA all one word, which should be easy because that's the name of this podcast and the one that you have to search for. And just a big thank you to everyone who came on the podcast today. Uh, I know we, as usual, had some technical problems, but uh, we are hamstrung at the moment by the uh, Spotify green room. Um, Hopefully, eventually, we'll be able to record these in a slightly better space. And that's not a Twitter space joke, but just in general, a better space. But thanks again for your support, and we'll see you again soon. Goodbye.